I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you bring your badges? I brought my uh, beans okay, and good. my pan for gold. Fantastic. And then uh, we'll, we'll talk today's episode 240, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, a movie from 1948, directed by John Huston. And starring Humphrey Bogart and John Huston's dad, Walter Huston, and Tim Holt. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, this was uh, not too long after The Big Sleep <laughs> for, for uh, Humphrey Bogart. Um, but, yeah, this is almost the end of his career, you know, because he, he died not too many years after this. Okay. But he, you know, it's funny because he had been playing scoundrelly type people or hard-boiled people or whatever, but they always had this heart of gold, mm. you know, um, once he once he made it. And then this one, <laughs> I don't, spoiler alert, no heart of gold <laughs> no here. No gold heart, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, you know, and you look at um, John Huston, he did The Maltese Falcon as his first movie, mm-hmm. and then this was his second movie. Wow. And so the studio's... Uh, <laughs> Jack Warner thought this was going to be a B-level Western, and he didn't realize how much money was being spent on it. So he was outraged by all the money that was being spent on this movie by this director who'd done one movie. Now, it was a great movie, but, you know, they were filming in Mexico. They <laughs> were spending <laughs> weeks and weeks. And at one point they say he was watching the rushes and somebody's looking for water. And he says, help that. You know, SOB, find water. It's costing me a million dollars for him to do this. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh So, um, but then, you know, he directed John Huston, Key Largo, The Asphalt Jungle, The Red Badge of Courage, The African Queen, Moby Dick. I mean, so many. And, you know, and even into what I call modern times, because I saw them at the movie theater when I was young. So, The Man Who Would Be King, Mm. you know, so, so many great movies. Yeah, well, so many. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pritzi's honor. Um, oh yeah, very good. Which I never saw, but you know, mm-hmm. and then his father uh, won an Oscar for this. He won an Oscar for this movie. Oh yeah! Wow. I mean, I thought he was quite good. In fact, no. you know, it wasn't until after I watched it that I looked at it and I said, "Oh, his name is Houston. I wonder if he's related." But he <laughs> he did a really good job. Yeah. Well, that's good because you have a fresh take. Because I went into it going, I knew it was the father son thing, and they both. One for this. Oh, that's good. Because it was nominated for something like eight Academy Awards. And um, and I it won either, I don't think it won Best Movie, but I think it won Best Director. Wow. And Humphrey Bogart's like, who can go up against the double Houston thing? You know, it's <laughs> they're going to both win and make you, and look better than you do, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, and uh, Walter Houston, I see, has made 56 movies as an actor. Mm-hmm. So he's he's around. I might recognize him in other movies, but he wasn't someone that leapt out to me that I was familiar with. Um, and at the beginning, you know, I, I felt like he was going to be just a side character um, because when we first see him, he's just in a bunk talking. And uh, instead, you know, he became a central piece of this this whole movie. Yeah, this movie is interesting, and um, I guess we'll have to give a short synopsis, but it's interesting because it's untraditional in a lot of ways, and one of those is in how it looks at the characters. You think you start off, and you know it's going to be about Humphrey Bogart, and you wind up done, and you're like, I don't think it was about him specifically, you know? Yeah. It's they shift their focus on who's doing stuff and who who the the main storyline is being told through. And yeah, uh, that yeah. makes it interesting. Yeah, and at the very beginning, you know, the first scene you see Humphrey Bogart, you know, his what is his name? Dobbs, right? Fred, Fred, Fred C. Dobbs, C. Dobbs as he says a lot. That's right. And he's looking for money, right? He, he's like, hey, yeah. can you help an he's American? He's a panhandler yeah, he, in Tampico. And yeah, he's in Tampico and he's he's asking 
who he thinks are rich Americans, um, seeking them out and asking them for a little money for food and stuff. Um, but yeah, so from that you would think, okay, well this is, this is the main focus of the movie is this guy. Um, but by the end, you know, yeah, that it's, it's a good, it's a good point. It's something I hadn't really thought about, but is the movie really about him because of what happens in the movie? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you, you, you definitely wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first time I watched it, I for sure thought it was about him and it got done. I went, what happened? Yeah. And then, <laughs> and I don't think I've seen it more than one other time, which was a really long time ago. Mm-hmm. And um, then, and I was a different movie viewer then. Yeah. yeah. And um, I watched it this time. It was like, wow, this is such a rich movie. Mm-hmm. So full of interesting, uh, great adventure story. You you never really know what's going to happen. Because you've got these, you know, Fred C. Dobbs is, he is the the wild, or what is it, the loose cannon on deck. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but you can't tell with anybody. So anyhow, um, do you want to do a, sure. a fast synopsis? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so at the beginning, um, we have Fred C. Dobbs, again, just looking for money. Um and he um, ends up meeting another person that he sort of attaches himself to. Uh, and his name is Curtin, C-U-R-T-I-N. And then they end up getting work. And they, they go to uh, – basically, it looks like they go somewhere for a few weeks and work on some project. And then the guy who hired him says, you know, I'll pay you when the job's all done. And then they they get back to Tim Tim Pico, and the, the guy who was supposed to pay them stiffed him. Yeah, it's like oh, yeah. I, oh, my agent didn't show up. I'll have to go find him. <laughs> I have to go I'll find be him right money. back, you guys. <laughs> yeah, and he gives him some money to go to the bar, and he says, "You guys go to the, over there and just wait for me." And of course, he never shows back up. And um, then. I'm not sure how specific to get on events, you know, in the non-spoilery spoilery, uh, section, but basically they team up and they they end up um, with a third person. And we'll talk about how they, they got the means to do this, but they, they, they end up with a third person uh, deciding to go out into the wilderness and uh, look for gold. And that they do. And um, as... I guess I could just say that as they're they're looking for gold and they're being successful, um, things change <laughs> amongst yeah. them. Their, their relationship changes amongst the three of them. Um, I'm not sure what else to say other than that in a non-spoilery uh, uh, yeah, piece. Yeah, as once they get out into the wilderness, it's it's a full-on adventure story because they are <clears throat> coming up against all the problems you have when you're trying to find gold, as well as. There's a famous Mexican bandit gang that's out there roaming around. There are um, natives. Uh, they call them Indians, though they just look, they're dressed perfectly normally and look just like average Mexicans to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the native indigenous people, I guess. And, um, and then all the natural elements of just being in a very harsh environment. And um, so that's the adventure part. Are they going to make it out? Are they going to find gold? If they do, what's going to happen? And then, um, of course, yeah. this movie is not just adventure, right? And, the and I like in, in um, let's see, yeah. what is it uh, in Roger Ebert's review? Um, he said the adventure is not an end in itself, but is a test of the characters. Yes. Yeah, and that that's spot on, of course. Yeah, and I hate to say a character study, mm-hmm. but that's really what it is. But because it's all about the adventure, you see what the it, <laughs> see. Then we start to get into part of of what I want to talk about, which is when we're tested by hardship, mm. we see who we are. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah. So that that's basically the synopsis, and it's it's a it's a movie that's just very very well worth watching. Uh, the the dialogue is great, and the actors are really good. It's um, it's just a good movie. It's a meaning, yeah. meaningful movie. Well, that's the thing. It's one of those movies that you get done and you're just like, oh, there was all this stuff I didn't expect. But it's also, you could just watch it the way I did so long ago and go, wow, what an adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You know, it's yeah. good storytelling is what it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
so yeah, so let's get into spoiler All territory. Right. Um, yeah, this movie is is how old? Let's see, twenty uh, seventy two years old. <laughs> <laughs> it still holds up, man. It still holds up. It still holds up very well. So yeah, so when we see, um, you know, you mentioned that uh, there's not a lot of redeeming quality in Humphrey Bogart's character, Fred C. Dobbs. <laughs> no. But when we first see him, we see a guy who's really down on his luck. We care about him. At least I did. It was like, you know, uh, oh, yeah. he's asking for money. He's, he's uh, you know, getting some pesos to have some food. Um, I love the kid who came. Did you know that that's Robert Blake? That, no, that I didn't kid. Know that. Yeah, that I, oh. I, I saw that and I was like, "Wow, that's Robert Blake." <laughs> that is great. Isn't that funny? So um, th- this kid comes and sells him a lottery ticket, and he and he's a persistent kid Very, because yeah. Fred doesn't want to have anything to do with it. He spent his last money on a mm. meal and a drink, yeah. and he's like, "Leave me alone! You just want to take my pesos from me that's for this right. lottery ticket." <laughs> yeah, but he ends up buying one and. Uh, just down on his luck, but then um, he walks around later, and, and and that was an interesting little exchange. You know, he ended up asking the same guy for money three times because he wasn't looking at the guy. It was just like um, the suit, I guess. He he wasn't no, looking he, the guy he in the eye because the guy says this is the third time you've hit me up in one day, and yeah. I'm giving you one more peso or whatever. Now don't ever bother me again. And he says, oh, I'm sorry. I was just looking at your hands and the money. And I was like, right there, this is who this guy is. Wow, yeah. Especially when you look back, this is the tell of his character. So um, the guy is paying attention to him. Mm-hmm. He's looking at him. And in fact, that was, uh, by the way, um, John Houston. Oh, was it really? The man in the white suit, yeah. Okay. So um, he paid attention to the person who was asking him for money. He looked at his face. Humphrey Bogart never looks at the person. He just takes what he wants. Mm. Oh, you're giving me some money. I'll just take it. Yeah. And you think about later on when he talks about, uh, well, and of course we see it all the way through. He's he's less and less interested in people as the gold becomes more and more uh, present and there's more and more of it. Right. He doesn't care about the people anymore. It's almost like, you know, Humphrey Bogart is Gollum from uh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> well, but I don't think we ever have an indication he's got something. You know, Gollum was an okay person who devolved. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Humphrey Bogart, you, he we're being shown at the beginning. He's already there. We don't know what he was like before. Yeah, and no, that is a good point. You know, so right. He's, he's not noticing the person that's giving him the money at all. He's just noticing mm-hmm. the money. Yeah. Yeah. And he teams up with Curtin because he's another panhandler. And um, when they go on that job, they then track down and and beat up the guy to get the money that they're supposed to get. Because the guy is trying. I'm like, wow, he must be very confident. He's walking around. He's cheated all these people. Oh, my gosh. And someone else said, oh, well, the only people who go work for him are Mexicans or stupid Americans who just got here. Because he's well known for cheating people. And he's walking around in a nice dress with a woman. Mm-hmm. And he oh, well, let me take you guys to the bar and then I'll pay you. And what he's trying to do is get him drunk so he can just leave them again. Yeah. But yeah. they see, and so they beat him up. Well, okay, this is the kind of behavior that they they despise it. He's cheating them of their rightful wages. And by the way, um, I just, for the Catholic bit, I thought I'd throw in from the catechism, denying a man his just wages is a mortal sin. Mm. So when the foreman is cheating them, that's a mortal sin. And likewise, when he's wanting, when uh, Fred Dobbs is wanting to steal the other guy's goods, which is what they call their gold, mm-hmm. he's committing that same sin. It's their just wages. They worked for it. Yeah. Wow. To say nothing of the friendship that he's betraying. And it's not really a friendship, but the partnership mm-hmm. and the agreement. Right. Yeah, and there was um, a there was a big deal made on that handshake about that handshake um, when they yeah. when they they finally decide well when they decide that they're going to go and he's got the means to do it um, they shake hands and say you know partners right and you see Walter Houston's face framed in the hands mm-hmm. and the look on his face is like oh, I've seen this before because <laughs> he says I'd rather go by myself he's the old timer who's experienced, he's made and lost fortunes. And he wants to make one last fortune. Mm -hmm. 
and then retire in comfort. But the thing I was going to say about Humphrey Bogart is um, later when they're all talking about what they want to do with their money. Uh um, And this is a big tell of personality too, although it's much later is um, he, uh, the old man, Howard, he says he wants to retire, have enough to eat, have a comfortable life, you know, Curtin says he wa- he really wants community. He wants to have a peach orchard because he remembers when he was a kid mm. being part of a big group of people that were all picking peaches. And what he remembers is at night, they'd all sing songs and celebrate together, having the work day's work done and just being around each other. And he wants that again. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's not thinking of it as community, but that's clearly what he's longing for. Mm-hmm. And what Dobbs wants is clothes and to be able to buy the finest dinner. And you see on Curtin's face, he kind of looks disappointed for a second or surprised because he's like, you're not understanding what we're asking. Hmm. And he says, so is that what you want? Well, that's it. And I want to order a dinner. And if something's wrong, I'm going to yell at the waiter and send it back. (laughs) He goes, heck, even if nothing's wrong with it, I'm going to yell at the waiter and send it back. This is how deep he is. Yeah. Not deep at all. And he wants to be important. That's Mm -hmm. all he wants. And the way he sees as being important is being able to buy things and yell at people. Yeah. So um, that goes back to the, I was just looking at your hands. Here's a benefactor. Here's somebody who's giving him enough that he can go have a shave and get his clothes cleaned and everything or get new clothes. And he doesn't even pay attention to who it was who gave it to him. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So he wants to be the guy in the suit, right? But he's not even noticing the guy in the suit. Yeah. (laughs) Fascinating. Yeah. Another, another, oops, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and you get the feeling if he was the man in the suit and he gave money to somebody, he'd want like huge thank yous and he'd be mad at him if he came up a second time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. He, yeah, he probably wouldn't treat him very nice at all. Right. Yeah. And then um, another thing that happens right around that time is when they're in the bunkhouse and Howard, you know, they're, they're hearing Howard talk about, you know, um, he said something about it. You'd be satisfied with 25,000 smackers, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and Humphrey Bogart says, yeah, if, if it was me, I would want this much and I'd be satisfied with that much and, and everything. But you know, it's already clear that he wouldn't be. <laughs> and I know, you know, that Howard knows that. Something right? about the way he does it. It's too eager. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Curtin is kind of thoughtful when he says it. Um, And it's not obvious, that obvious, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then Howard says something about, you know, after, after months of going nuts and sweating and working really hard, you know, you say, you know, Lord, just give me $5,000 and I'll never ask for anything more the rest of my life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. Howard says that. Um, But yeah, but then he says, uh, it sound, it seems like a lot of money, you know, 5000 but if you're going to make a real strike, you're not going to leave. Not even the threat, he says, not even the threat of miserable death would keep you from trying to add 10000 more. 10, you want to get to 25. 25, you want to get to 50. 50, 100, like roulette. One more turn, you know, always one more. And he's been through that. He said that he, he did have money at one time and spent it all trying to get more. Yeah, when they so, meet him, he's in a flop house. Even Howard, yeah. So, yeah. Right. Well, and it's that which gives him interesting qualities of his own mm-hmm. because of the experience. Yeah. He's been around all kinds of people. So that even when, you know, he'll say, well, we probably should do this. There's a few things he's adamant about. Like, you know, we can't stop here. This this isn't, this is probably right. This isn't right a place for anything anybody would see what we're doing and take it away so he gets them to the right spot and he gets them all set up and everything but whenever it's something like um we should keep all the gold together and we'll divide it up at the end or we should divide it up now you know humphrey bogart of course is like when am i getting my share Hmm. he says well i thought we'd keep it together and um yeah but if the other guys don't agree, he's like, oh, okay, that's perfectly fine. One doesn't make any difference to me more than the other. It's He knows what's worth fighting about. Yeah, yeah. He can read the guys kind of that way, I think. Right, and you kind of get the feeling that, you know, he was wise enough to know what was happening with Dobbs the whole yeah. time. And Dobbs is deteriorating the entire time. 
Um, but but you can. It's like he could tell and was trying to manipulate it in a way that would delay the the complete meltdown of Dobbs. <laughs> you yeah, know, that's Dobbs that's is. how I felt about it anyway. Like he he kind of oh, knew yeah. and he would push and pull and and compromise and things with the goal of we need Dobbs to, to uh, be sane long enough for us to get out of here, <laughs> you know, with the, some money. And that's a good point. And cause I was thinking about, he can read the guys pretty well, mm-hmm. but he can't read them right every single time because they themselves, well, Dobbs is very stable. I mean, in terms of he's very unstable, he doesn't change. I mm-hmm. mean, he deteriorates, but it's still all the stuff that was there before. Right. You know? it's, it's like, he's just becoming more and more greedy. The more he gets, right. the more he's, feels he needs to protect and it's just um yeah he's just getting more paranoid and unstable i guess Mm -hmm. is um he he is changing but he's yeah he's becoming much worse and so um and we see curtain i mean you know at one point dobbs or no howard says gold's a devilish thing it's whether the guy who finds it is the right guy and so what we kind of see here is what does it mean when you're not the right guy or when you are the right guy? And I thought it was so interesting that Curtin, we see, we don't know him at all. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of the sidekick for a long time. But when that cave-in happens and Dobbs is inside, nobody knew about it. I mean, Howard didn't know about it. He wasn't there. And um, Curtin, we see he has a real moment of struggle with himself. Yeah, he's ready to leave him, and then he's like, "No, no, I won't," you know. And he goes in and saves him. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, oh, "Okay, he's he's facing temptation pretty early, struggling hard, almost giving in." Okay, but then when um, the other guy Cody comes along and says, "Look, I know about this now too. I don't want anything from before. I want to work with you guys and go forward and take a share of it." Mm-hmm. Which is pretty presumptuous, I thought. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, oh man. Anyway, um, and Dobbs instantly wants to kill him. And um, Howard says, Well, I'll go along with whatever you guys want to do. And you can see he's counting on Curtin to go, No, no way. Yeah. And Curtin goes, yeah, let's do it because his, and then Howard kind of gets this look on his face and his shoulders sag a little. And he's like, All right. <laughs> said, I'd do it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, so you see Curtin also gives in to something that's wrong. Right. And you feel like, of course, by the time they fought the bandits off, they changed their minds. Cody is one of them. Mm-hmm. But it's too late. But it is too late, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then Cody, I mean, that's, you know, he's he's protecting people that are going to kill him. So it was mm-hmm. a weird situation for him, yeah, too. Yeah, they're all in it together. Yeah, yeah I know. Mm-hmm. Well, he would die anyway. This would save his life. And, of course, it would have changed how they thought about him. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that could have been a motive there where he's like, yeah, if I do this, then they'll, they'll let me in. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Well, and so much of what these guys do is spur of the moment. And that's the test of character. You don't have a lot of moments when it's... Um, really clear you're fighting temptation. It's just, how are you reacting? Yeah. How does that form you through the little moments? Right. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I I can see now the significance of that struggle that Curtin had when he saved Dobbs. Mm -hmm. Cause yeah, he was going to walk away and then he didn't. Yeah. But you're right. That's a, that's the, the, you know, the, the momentary decision, you know, that we make all the time. Mm hmm. And he didn't have long to make it. It was a split second, and he started to do the wrong thing, and you could see him stop himself and turn around and go, nope, I'm going to save him. And, of course, it's the same thing in the, in that sense that, of course, by then, Humphrey Bogart is full-out insane, mm-hmm. paranoid. But he he it's only him and Dobbs. I mean, him, Dobbs, and um, Curtin taking the gold back because Howard's had to go stay with the Indians for a while. Mm. And... um He's, you know, goading him so that he'll have to stay awake and he can get control. And then the first thing he does is take him off and try to kill him. (laughs) And all his struggles afterwards are, how am I going to keep from getting caught? Yeah. I better take his clothes off. 
No, I better better bury him. No, I better not bury him. I better it's all yeah. his internal struggles are about saving himself. Absolutely. Yeah, and another scene that really stuck out to me was the scene where they're in the camp. They've got some gold. They've each got gold hidden. And uh, uh, Howard gets up in the middle of the night. <laughs> and then Dobbs wakes up and he's like, oh, my gosh, where's Howard? He's probably stealing my stuff. So he gets up and goes to look for Howard, you know, and then Howard comes back. And then Curtin wakes up and it's like, where's Dobbs? <laughs> so he has to get up and go. And it's like a direct contrast. You know, when they were when they were hiking up the mountain and they were exhausted and uh, both Dobbs and Curtin were fast asleep and uh, Howard's completely awake eating beans. He says, you guys should eat beans because we're going to walk tomorrow. Oh. You guys should get up and walk beans. But these guys are perfectly, they're sleeping, right? And they're content and sleeping. Um, they're exhausted, right? Mm-hmm. But they're just as exhausted up there in the tent because they've been working all day, you know, with picks and stuff. And uh, yet uh, their sleep is very light. And, um, you know, the moment that one of them stirs, you know, the other one wakes up because they're worried about their stuff. I didn't even catch that. You know? What a great contrast. But yeah, so it, it's like, um, you know, you think about. Uh, well, Pope Francis sometimes talks, and I know a lot of other people do too, but they sometimes talks about freedom, you know, and, and it's, it's like when they had nothing, they were free, right? <laughs> yeah. They were yeah. free. They didn't have this attachment, this stuff in their head that they needed to keep track of. But the more stuff that they got, the bigger that takes in your head, you know? <laughs> The more more possessions that you have that you feel like need to be protected, the less free you actually are. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's and a that's me- a typical. You know, that's a lots of people teach that, like like uh, Benedict, <laughs> Saint oh, yeah. Benedict. Well. You know, um, all, all that stuff. You know, just this, this idea that freedom of attachment, you know, allows you to, you know, attachment to things. Um, allows you to uh, to spiritually grow. Well, that's the story of Jesus and the rich young man, right? Mm-hmm. So the rich young man, what can I do? And he says, oh, follow these laws. Oh, I've done all those things. He goes, okay. And it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Mm-hmm. and said, there's one thing left. Go sell everything you have and follow me. And his face fell because mm-hmm. he was very rich and it went away. And I, I, pretty sure it says Jesus looked after him and he was sad. Yeah. Wow. And it's the attachment to things like that. It doesn't mean you can't have things. That's the Bible's very clear about that too, but you have to use them properly and have that lack of attachment to them. You know? Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting because isn't that what it shows at the end? Humphrey Bogart's it dead. Does, yeah. <laughs> Having killed or having kind of like abandoned everyone and taken everything, and the other two are left with nothing. And Walter Houston Howard sits there and just laughs at the irony of it. Right. It's they're they're so panicked. Right. They're so panicked. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? There's their complete focus, and they get there and they see that it's gone, and then it's like they're released. They thought it was sand. Right. The Bandits thought it was sand. Right. And now they're free. Yeah. And the funny, and he, isn't it him who, Howard, who says, I'm no worse off than I was 10 months ago. I just have lost a few hundred dollars, but yeah. I'm still alive and everything. I'm going to go back and live with those Indians. And he'll have his perfectly comfortable life mm-hmm. because they almost worship him as a god after saving that little kid. Right. He's very respected. And mm-hmm. the way that young lady was smiling at him, he's going to have a good life. <laughs> yep. And um, mm. then Curtin gets to go and look for Cody, the guy that uh, died in the bandit attack. He gets to go look for his widow and one or two kids or whatever who have a peach orchard <laughs> in Dallas. We were yeah. like, wow, somebody <laughs> must grow peaches around here. Um, but he has a chance at that life that he wanted. and mm. uh, But it's, because they're, they can come out of it happy because they 
their sense of perspective is restored. Right. Yeah. By Howard's laughing and saying, well, overall, I'm not that much worse off. And what they get, because they went through that, is something they couldn't have had otherwise. He wouldn't have had that home with the Indians, and Curtin wouldn't have known about this widow. Yeah. That woman might not have been a widow, but he's got a chance at something that is essentially what he's been longing for. For sure, yeah. And they get that perspective. Mm-hmm. So all the struggle that they went through wasn't for nothing. For one thing, it helped Curtin learn who he is more. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, nothing's for nothing, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> I guess that's All of our experience, it. all our stuff, suffering and everything, you know. Yeah, and the struggling, it's definitely we don't not always, nothing. Yeah. yeah, we don't always see. Well, for one thing, I mean, even um, the fact that uh, Humphrey Bogart goes through his stuff, he had the chance to be a better person. Hmm. He chose the other way. Yeah. He was given chance after chance. I mean, the Gila monster thing. Yeah, yeah. Going in the hole. <laughs> yeah. And that was Curtin's chance to just pour the scorn that he felt upon him. But the way he was doing it was definitely going to keep him from sticking his hand in the hole. For sure. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Yeah, it was. And yeah. they wound up uh, catching those bandits who had been terrorizing the region because of the mules that they stole from Humphrey Bogart. The Burroughs, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, this is a really nice, well, very well-written movie. Yeah. Um, was it from, is this an original or was it from some There work? was a novel, I believe. And Yeah, there it I is. Know- B. B. Traven. Based on a novel by B. Traven, but the screenplay was John Huston. Yeah. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Well, and B. Traven is funny because nobody knew who he was. <laughs> <laughs> and he was always an, nobody still knows who he is. Huh. He was always anonymous. Um, now here's they have a picture on his Wikipedia page, uh-huh. but it says this is the most popular candidate for Trevin's true identity. <laughs> How about that? So nobody knows. And um, they he said they offered him quite a lot of money to come out and be a consultant on set. And he said, no, no, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to send a representative who will do it for me for a lot less money. And by the time they were done, John Houston and somebody else were just swearing this had to be Traven hmm. himself. Yeah. But he would rather have remained anonymous than to take more money and be known who he was. Because he was saying things that were like straight out of the book or things that they'd had in their correspondence together. Hmm. You know, anyway. Yeah. So there was that mystery about it, too. Oh, fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I know that they were saying that one of the things they describe in the book was actually shot for the movie, but but dumped because everybody went, nope, we're not putting that in, which is, you know, they just they show Humphrey Bogart being killed. And it oh. looks like the guy slashes his throat, but evidently he decapitated him because in the in one of the shots, they show his head bouncing down <laughs> into the water. And it's like, oh, oh, wow. Uh, that would have been insane. Yeah. Yeah. Especially back then, that would have been a little tough. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. So it's funny, too, because, um, you know, when Dobbs is causing all that trouble mm-hmm. and um, they're kind of just having, he's talking to himself, he's, you know, being ungrateful because the Gila monster thing and all these things. And, and Curtin's like, oh, this guy. And Howard says, Dobbs is as honest as any man. And I was thinking about that. And he's like, oh, well, you know, some men are like this, some men are like that. It's just how do we react to it and everything. And I thought about it and I was like, no, Curtin is any man. Uh huh. Dobbs is also any man, but Dobbs is extreme. Dobbs lives yeah. in the moment. Mm-hmm. He not doesn't think about the future in terms that are at all past just being shallow. He doesn't think about the past. So when he says... Fred C. Dobbs means what he says, and he keeps his he keeps his word of what he says. Well, the, at the moment he's saying that, we he's absolutely opposite to the thing he swore before. We'll be partners and all this stuff. Huh. It's after he's tried to kill um, Curtin. Yeah, and yeah, that's it's, interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it's because he's continually he lives in the moment. He doesn't really think about the past. He doesn't think about the future. He's not very uh, introspective, so to speak. And he doesn't have anything, any moral base that he's working from. 
He's just kind of floating with what seems right at the moment. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it's like, you know, when you when you deal with a lot of people, you know, th- there are some people that, you know, like Dobbs, may- maybe he's saying that Dobbs is reliable in that I understand Dobbs and I understand how he's going to react in a situation. And in that way... To me, he's honest because he's always acting in the way that I expect, you know? And then you have other people that are seem to always be acting in a way that's unexpected. And um, that's a hard person uh, to trust, you know what I mean? So it's like if you know what Dobbs is going to do, you can trust Dobbs. <laughs> so you're like, yeah, but, okay, I understand this about Dobbs, and this is what's going to But Dobbs is the one saying you can trust Fred C. Dobbs. He's right. saying it about himself. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. I, 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 no, I, I didn't I, make that I clear. apologize. I thought you said something yeah. about Howard because I remember Howard, Howard said, said something Dobbs about Dobbs. is as honest as any man. As honest as any man. Okay. And that's what, and I, then, that's what I'm addressing because I feel like yeah. maybe that's what Howard means by that. Is that Dobbs is reliably Dobbs? No, he goes on and explains it. Okay. Um, and I don't have the whole quote. It, it's something like, "Well, some men are gonna, you know, some men are gonna cheat you. Some men aren't. Mm-hmm. Some men, you know, he, every man has to make all these choices. And Dobbs is just like any of them. Uh-huh. He's no worse than any of us. And at that point, you're just like, you're being awfully kind. Dobbs has already shown his true colors, and yeah, yeah. he's not Dobbs. Mm-hmm. Curtin isn't Dobbs. He's not any man. Um, I, I, and I guess in that sense, he does mean everybody's got these choices to make. You're right. But he, he does go on and explain it more. And so, okay. and I did mm-hmm. skip ahead so that when, when Fred at one point, Fred <laughs> or Dobbs is, you know, I think this is when he's with the Burroughs and he's like this and this and this and that and that and that. And when Fred C. Dobbs says something, it's kind of like, um, can't remember exactly what he said, but it's kind of like, you could take that to the bank. I never go back on my word, and I always keep what I'm saying, and you could trust me when I'm saying it. He's talking to himself. But he's just, like, tried to kill Curtin, mm-hmm. yeah. who he was a partner with. He shook hands, and we're, we're going to be in this together. I'm never going to, once we have $25,000, I'll be happy to go home. All the things we've seen him break. But the point, um, and this was Rose making this point, she goes, but he, in his mind, is so volatile, he forgets the stuff he's said before. His point of view on who he is changes so much Mm. that in the moment, which is where he lives, he is absolutely living up to what he says (laughs) because he's crazy. That's fascinating. There was a a line that Dobbs said about conscience that I thought was interesting. Um, Okay. I have here in front of me. Yeah, Dobbs. He says, conscience, what a thing. If you believe you got a conscience, it'll pester you to death. But if oh, you yeah. don't believe you got one, what could it do to you? Makes me sick yeah. all this talking and fussing about nonsense. Yeah. 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 So he's he's avoiding that. <laughs> yeah, he's I avoiding don't want to that think inner, about that it. Concentrate, you know, that inner conversation um, yeah. that's that's uh, prodding him. Yeah, and of yeah. course, conscience. Um, Remember how surprised I was? I never really thought about it. Of course, everybody has a conscience, what's right and wrong and everything. And I knew that. But it wasn't until I became Catholic and started reading things where it was, you know, Augusta and Aquinas, a zillion people are like, Mm. this is the little voice God has built into each of us. Mm. It's his conversation with us always. It's why you do something bad, you feel bad about it. It's God in there. Yeah, it's his little reminder. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, that's so true. Yeah, yeah. I was just stunned by that idea. Yeah, it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, something that um, Rose pointed out, mm-hmm. and uh, well, I guess that's the other, another difference, just to cut back for a second, is um, conscience. So he, he ignores his conscience. Howard seems very flexible. And it, you know, he, he'll kill the guy of Cody if everybody's voting on it. And uh, Curtin's the one who's forming his conscience. He's listening, or, and he's forming his character, I guess, but he's listening to his conscience most of the time. Not all the time, because none of us do it all the time. So, um, which kind of leads me to Rose brought up, you know, the Greek idea of comedy or tragedy. So, comedy is when what should be is. And a tragedy is when what should be isn't. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
when you think of this as Dobbs's story, then it's a tragedy because he should have gotten better, not worse. He shouldn't have devolved into madness. Mm-hmm. But if you think of it as all three of their stories, or him and Curtin's story, to me it turns more into a comedy when what should be is. Um, you don't know if Curtin... I mean, you feel like Curtin has had his moments of testing. And now he's going to go on and try to live the life he should live. And whether that includes, you know, Cody's widow or not, Howard is going to get what he wants. He seems kind of neutral in the whole thing, mm-hmm. but we don't mind that he has a good life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Humphrey Bogart was awful. Mm-hmm. That he was. We're not sad when he dies. No, I was a little surprised. Oh, yes? Yeah, I thought it would have been wounded or something. <laughs> and then maybe, I guess maybe I was looking for that uh, moment of redemption um, that never comes for him. Yeah. You know? I, yeah, I guess, yeah. And it, you would like him to have had that, but he's had so many chances. You don't know if later. Yeah, it, it's, 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 it's right now, you know, looking back that that's what happened. Because I don't know how they, it would have been believable. <laughs> yeah. Well, and in terms of the story, it's poetic justice. He met somebody who had less conscience than he did and was more ruthless and determined than he was. But he treated Curtin the exact same way. He was just less good at it. He (laughs) killed him for his stuff, he thought. Mm -hmm. And um, this gold hat is doing the exact same thing to him. And what happens to gold hat and the bandits is they're caught, they're marched off by the federales, they dig their own graves, they're shot. Yeah. Well, this is exactly, you know, the fate that um, they're handing out to people who are such thieves. Right, right. He reaps what he sows. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the futility of all this, um, just seeking money for money's sake when, when they think it's sand and it blows away in the wind. <laughs> How impermanent it all is. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I mean, that was that was a nice... Nice scene there, you know, gets windy, stuff's blown away. It's very upsetting. Those guys are so, <laughs> so furious, you know, looking at, looking for it. Um, yeah, just amazing. Well, when the, when the bandits are slashing the bags and going, nothing but sand, and you're just like, no, there was so much hard work that went into that, don't do That's that. Right. I mean, I was, I was, I was upset. <laughs> I was very upset. And, yeah. but it was also kind of, again, ironic, it's the, it was the concrete, the burrows and the hides. Uh-huh. That's what they wanted. That's what they wanted. That's that's what yeah. was worth something to them. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, um, too, that he won the lottery, which was the last oh, yeah. piece that he needed to get to go pan for gold in the first place. Um, I thought that was an interesting touch. You know, so he buys a lottery ticket and he hits it. You know, Dobbs. Yeah, and they pull together their money. Yeah, and, and that, that another interesting aspect of it is he he was putting in more than Curtin, and mm-hmm. it was noted at the time by Curtin. They said, are you sure you want to put in more than me? And then, of course, later on, Dobbs did bring that up as a as an issue. Yeah, yeah I, I put in way more than you did. Um, so, if we get what we think we will, this is just a drop in the bucket. Right. And he's yeah. so then he's thinking quite rationally. Really, uh-huh. we probably see him at about his best when he's making the plans and excited and everything. Yeah, right. It's kind of like that scene on the train when they're shooting the bandits who are trying to rob it, and he's yeah. super excited. Oh yeah. He had you know? Oh, that was very exciting, and this and that, and um, I got three of them. Did you see mm-hmm. that? Yeah. And. They somebody else says they got something. Yeah, but I got three. <laughs> yeah, who knows? But <laughs> that's right. Yep. <laughs> he's that's very right. excited, and he's you know it's all uh, allowable. Yep. But he's volatile for sure. Right. <laughs> and, the can- and the conductor comes and says, "Oh well, yeah, the bandits, and they didn't get anything, and only one passenger got killed. So you know, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so we did great. Yeah. That's too good. It was a good trip. Yep. <laughs> I'm just like, oh man! Oh, too funny. I guess that, if nothing else, emphasizes how dangerous it is where yeah, they're going. Right, for sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, really good stuff. I mean, I, I just really this thing. You know, yeah. The more thought about it, but it is this character thing. It's really that's what it's about. Is these three folks? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's what I would say now. You know, what's the, what's the, who's the main character, I guess, is, mm-hmm. you know, it's the three of them. Because, you know, I, I yeah. think, you know, it was, it was like Bogart's descent into darkness. And then, um, I don't know, uh, Howard, I guess, was, he was the experienced guy who stayed pretty flat throughout the whole thing, seemed to, to pretty much, uh, you know, that, that, that end where he finally let go of even looking for gold anymore in his life was a good thing. Right. And then Curtin is sort of, like you said, he was forming his conscience throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then now is, uh, potentially going to go have, a, uh, the life he wanted. Yeah. And when you said that about Howard, being able to let go of everything. So that's his moment of character development, really, because mm-hmm. he seeing what this gold mining is like, and they said, you know, wow, this guy, we thought we were going to have to carry him. He uh-huh. could carry both of us, you know? Yeah. And he's so tough and he knows everything. And I thought, look at how hard this life is. And he was willing to do it for gold. Yeah. Now he wants his comfortable life, but More he's already once. blown it. More than once. Yeah. Yeah. You get the and, impression that he's done this a few times. Yeah. And seen a bunch of different guys right. go down a bunch of different roads with it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And so when you said that about him laughing and going, you know what? All I lost was this. And I'm going to go back and live here. And you're right. He's realizing here was my bigger goal because I knew I can't, he knew he couldn't do it anymore. So he's kind of having to come to what am I going to do with the money? I'll do this. Well, I can still have this. I yep. don't need the money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well done. Well, and also, now that I think about it, I was interested when he they were done. And he said, well, no, we can't leave yet. We have to heal the mountain. We have to put stuff back the way it was. Yeah, that's interesting. And Humphrey Bogart's like, what? Well, and I think Curtin <laughs> maybe too. Like, what? And he goes, well, you know. We have to be thankful for what essentially he's saying. And when they leave, he's he's grateful to the mountain, which is about as spiritual as these guys get. It's like, you know, thank you for giving us this. Uh-huh. And um, that actually kind of puts him mentally in line with the way you would think the Indians were. Hmm. You know, this kind of yeah. more that attitude. Yeah. Interesting that, uh, yeah, that was in there. That, that surprised me, too. It was more environmental than I expected. Really? (laughs) (laughs) All right then. Mm -hmm. Had you seen? You'd seen this before, I guess. Uh Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. I can't remember when. It was a while back, but okay. Well, I knew you were on a Bogart kick. Yeah, I still, I still like that guy. So yeah, so he passed away uh, very early in 1957. Humphrey Bogart. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this was. So yeah, I guess this was about eight years before he passed away but yeah, yeah um well he was 58 yeah which isn't as young as it would seem now yeah right he had lung cancer i think right right yeah <clears throat> excuse me yeah he made a bunch of movies well key largo was the next one which i haven't seen for a long time we were talking about that when the hurricane was coming through um that wound up hitting louisiana mostly yeah. But I was saying, oh, we need to watch Key Largo and <laughs> Richie Robinson. My goodness. But so many, you know, after that, he still made tons of movies. The African Queen, The Cane Mutiny. Yeah, right. The Cane Did Mutiny. Did we watch was that right or away. read that? We read that. We, that's what I thought. Yeah. But I can't get that iconic uh, image of him with the little balls in his hand, Captain Queeg. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> doesn't matter what we did he's in it for me oh sabrina yeah yeah oh the petrified forest oh no okay i was gonna say have you ever seen the petrified forest that was an early one no i haven't oh my gosh um 1934 Mm -hmm. and he plays uh duke manti but it's got Betty Davis in it. Oh, interesting. And it's a fairly isolated, um, like a little gas station convenience store restaurant type thing in 1934. And Betty Davis' family runs it. 
So she's stuck there essentially. And it's near the petrified forest and wherever that is, is that Arizona or somewhere like that? So it's very desolate. And then here come some gangsters. Wow. Guess who? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's amazing. You really should watch it. It's a wonderful movie. Very good. Very old, but yeah. Yeah. And, And it was a breakout role for him. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, so the the treasure of Sierra Madre is 1948. So he met Lauren Bacall in 1944 to have and have not. And then they only did three movies together, but you'd think they'd have made like 20. Um, (laughs) Well, she had other things she was doing. Oh, yeah, for sure. The have and have not, and then The Big Sleep, and then Dark Passage. So Dark Passage came out the year before this one, and that's where he plays a guy who. does he have his face reconstructed? Yep, exactly. I, I yep. could never remember the name of that one. <laughs> yeah, and that's I, it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> have you seen that one? I have, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love that movie. For it's sure. It's not a, really a big movie, uh-huh. but I love it anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a crazy movie. <laughs> and yeah, crazy. You, I mean, he doesn't even show his face. Humphrey Bogart doesn't show his face in that movie for... It's like more than halfway into yeah. it. Yeah. And then we finally see his face. Because it's been reconstructed. And yep. she's like, oh, yep. not bad. And I'm like, this is what you picked? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like Humphrey Bogart, but come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's just amazing. Oh, yeah. So, that's yeah. a great one. Um, yeah. Yes. If people just want an entertaining movie, I suppose there's more there. I haven't watched it for a while, but I just... It's a guilty pleasure almost mm-hmm. for me. I just love watching those actors in that movie with that insane idea. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I saw your trial. I'll help you escape from like San Quentin <laughs> or wherever it is. <laughs> oh, so no, Bacall is in Key Largo too. So Key Largo I haven't seen. So they've done, they did four movies together. Oh, you haven't seen Key Largo? I haven't seen Key Largo. Uh-uh. Oh. I'm looking at it right now. So Edward G. Robinson, Lauren Bacall, yeah. and Bogart. Yeah. Well, it's I'm gonna watch it this weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure, definitely watch it while yeah. hurricane season is still going. I love it. Very good. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that's a good movie. Good choice. I'm so glad you picked it. Good. The I'm whole glad. family enjoyed it. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Good. 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 All right. So, what have we got next? Oh yeah, Watership Down. By Richard Yay! Adams, yeah. Road trip. Road trip. <laughs> I love it. A harrowing road trip. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a rabbit. <laughs> if you're <laughs> love it. Well, yep. good. I'm looking forward to that very much. I started listening to it, and then I couldn't help it. I had to grab the book and read it mm-hmm. as fast as I could, and oh, then, cool. and then, at the end, <laughs> I cried. Oh, I'm just gonna skip the end then. <laughs> Let me know what page to stop. You're too manly for that. I forgot. Way too manly. Yeah. If only you were a good Indian man, you'd know it's okay to cry. <laughs> someday. Maybe, someday I'll I gotta grow. I've got to show you some more movies with some more role models. That's right. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, goodness. Looking forward to it so much. Oh, my goodness. Well, right. that's enough insanity. All right. Well, great. <laughs> Okay, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, you've been very patient. We appreciate it. (laughs) We'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. All right, (laughs) bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) 